Good afternoon and welcome to the Catholic Opinion. My name is Father Anthony Sumich, a priest of the Priestly Fraternity of St. Peter. And let's begin today's show with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. So, as I said, my name is Father Anthony Simich. I'm a priest of the Priestly Fraternity of St. Peter. And we work here in the Auckland Diocese under the invitation of the diocese, having come in here six years ago to bring a Latin Mass chaplaincy to those of the faithful who prefer to have the liturgy in the ancient rite. And so... We've been growing quite steadily over these last few years, and now we work out of St. Anne's Chapel in Te Aratu South. And if you want to have a look at some of the details of our work, you can have a look at our website, which is fssp.nz, or our Facebook page, FSSP Auckland. Now, our mass times are subject to change due to COVID and the situation, um, the lockdown situation with regards and also with mandates and passports and the like. Of course, this is a a quickly changing world that we live in. So please just uh, have a look on our website, have a look or have a look on our Facebook page to see if there have been any changes to mass times and numbers of people that can come in and so on and so forth. So today, uh, or normally on our show, I would be going into a section on the history of the church and talking especially, as we have been over the last few weeks, about the Protestant Revolution, the situation with Martin Luther, the growing anger in Germany, and the Civil War, which is almost looking as if it's going to happen there, and also the expansion of the Portuguese and the Spaniards into circumnavigation of the world. But... Since today is a major feast in the church, the 25th of March, of course, is the Annunciation of the, of the Blessed Virgin Mary. So I thought that today we'll do a little bit of a meditation on the Blessed Virgin Mary, on the Annunciation as it was given to us by Almighty God on this particular day, nine months before Christmas Day. So Without any further ado, let's let's say Hail Mary and then we'll just get into a little bit of a meditation so we can get ourselves in the right frame of mind for this beautiful feast day, but also for Easter, which is not far away. In the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost, Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. By the gift of sinlessness and union with God, conceived at once into human existence and life in God by her immaculate conception, Mary was destined to grow flawlessly into an ever greater capacity for the will of God to be done by her and through her. And when the appointed time came, it was to and through her that God sent his Son, 
born of a woman to redeem the subjects of the law and to enable us to be adopted as sons. The handmaid of the Lord, as she has referred to herself, had grown throughout her life into a humility nourished by adherence to God's will. It was a hidden life of monotonous daily chores with the fire of love of God her Saviour burning in her heart. As she discovered the world around her, the humiliations of her people, the extent to which they kept up the outward appearance of religion while having rejected the inner power of it, as she became aware of the brutalities of slavery and of Roman rule, her pity and compassion were readying her for the sword to pierce her own soul, as predicted by the holy man Simeon. Her extraordinary intelligence, given the fact that she had no sin to hinder the clarity of thought, gave her a clear-sighted intuition into the situation of mankind living, as the scriptures Luke writes in the 79th verse of his first chapter, in darkness and in the shadow of death, immersed in this world without hope and without God. She would grow in adoration and gratitude in faith, in hope, believing against hope for the Messiah to bring redemption. Hers was a clarity that renders one a vulnerable instrument of expiation, enabling her to conquer evil with good. Prepared, but without expecting it, she would learn from the angel that she was to conceive and bear a son who will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. We hear those magnificent words in Luke's Gospel in the first chapter, whereby the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will cover you with its shadow, for nothing is impossible to God. In unconditional readiness, in purest trust, she, because she knew the infinite power and wisdom of Yahweh, Yahweh, to be one with his love, which towards mankind can only be a redeeming love, Mary accepted. As St. Luke writes, Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Let it be done unto me according to thy word. From the spiritual condition of her people, from prophecies and the fate of many prophets, she must have had heavy forebodings of what was to come, confirmed so soon after by the prophetic words of Simeon in the temple, as recorded in the second chapter of Luke. As St. Paul's letter to the Romans says, God never takes back his gifts or revokes his choice. Not with regard to his people Israel, nor with regard to her through whom God would enter 
a hostile world. By her total sinlessness, by her immaculate conception, a new beginning was made in mankind so that the Saviour prepared for all nations to see a light to enlighten the pagans and the glory of God's people Israel could begin to exist as human being through and in her already redeemed. The absolute, outrageous enormity of the task asked of Mary to become the mother of the Messiah, of the Savior of the world, to provide his human heritage, to take on the responsibility for God having become vulnerable. Who can fathom this mystery? It is impossible for us to recognize the beauty of her soul, that God deemed that soul an acceptable place in which that he would borrow of her human flesh to become true man along with being true God. His humanity was, in all the stages of his life on earth, from the totally hidden life in Mary's womb to his dying in agony, was the image of the unseen God, as St. Paul tells us the Colossians. To see him was and will be forever to see the Father. But what is seen is the humanity of Jesus taken from his most pure mother. We are all called to reflect like mirrors the brightness of the Lord as we are turned into the image that we reflect. We are intended to become true images of his son. But this image is that of the child of Mary. She who would be the most Christ-like human being ever had supplied for God the humanity which would grow into the very model and source of her own sanctity. Through her, God entered the world. Through and in her, the almighty creator of heaven and earth, through whom all things came to be, could become the saviour of the world. It was his choice rather than bring himself in as a fully grown adult. This is something we always need to remind ourselves about. Through her, God would prepare a body for the eternal son so that sin would reach and reject the almighty creator in him the creator whose names are being and love, the love of God made visible in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The knowledge of God's glory would shine forth on the face of Christ, 
that human face of God which God had asked Mary to give to him. He asked. It hinged on her fiat. She would grow ever more into the image of her son. An image that had its human origin in her. And herein lies the mystery of what began as the Annunciation and became by Mary's fiat, the incarnation of the Eternal Son, the Word was made flesh. John 1, 14. Consider the enormity of the assertion of the revelation that the child will be called the Son of God. That the unborn, the child in Bethlehem, and on the flight to Egypt, living an indistinguishable life for more than 30 years in Nazareth, that he, in truth, was a Son of God, the Son of God, one in substance with the Father, true God from true God, as the creed of the Mass tells us. We believe and profess that Almighty God became man in Mary, that God's innocence was revealed in the child born in Bethlehem, for at all times to see him, the son of Mary, is to see him, the word of God, through whom all things came to be. We profess God as creator, whom we dare to call our father. We must keep before us the two realities that are one in the simplicity of the one only God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Being and love, creator and savior, source and goal of all. Yet they are as much one in the Son as in the Father and the Holy Spirit. Three persons in one substance with one another whose home is in inaccessible light. Being and love are one in the Godhead of the Son of Mary, Jesus Christ, who eternally is the Son of God and now and forever, both true God and true man. To learn of God, we must listen to him who is the way of God to man and of man to God. We must behold him who is the truth about God because to see him, Jesus Christ, is to see the Father. We must experience him who is the life and the resurrection for he sits at the right hand of the Father to continue to draw all men to himself. And so to learn of God is to entrust ourselves to him whom we profess to be of infinite power, of infinite wisdom and goodness, and of compassionate mercy. St. Luke tells us in that first chapter that Mary fathomed that in letting it be done to her according to God's word, 
she would let herself fall into the hands of this living God. Our Lord's life and well-being, his protection and even his education were entrusted to her and to his foster father Joseph, whose feast we celebrated last week. The eternal son of the father, one in substance with the father, true God from true God, did not shrink from birth in the virgin's womb, nor disdain to live under their authority. Mary did not fully understand these things. She understood that she had become an integral part of a vast and decisive mystery involving all of mankind. Yet her faith and her knowledge were far outstripped any other human, as she had the word himself within her. Although this may have tested her faith, her apostolic hope and her charity, and must have constituted a burden beyond human capacity to endure, but nothing is impossible with God. The Annunciation of the Redeemer was the beginning of Mary's journey to the foot of the cross. Through her, God had come to help to the help of Israel, his servant, mindful of his mercy, according to the promise he had made to our ancestors, of his mercy to Abraham and to his descendants forever. We, of course, are part of that promise almighty God and Mary is that fulcrum that middle point in all of time given to us as the vessel in whom our saviour was given flesh so let's try through the inspired narrative of Saint Luke to enter into the dispositions of Mary's soul at the time of the Annunciation. The angel sent by God finds the virgin recollected in solitude and being come in, he says to her, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. At these words, according to the sacred text, Mary is, quote, troubled. We must not, however, take this phrase to mean a real disturbance, which destroys the peace of the spirit. It means rather a profound astonishment at this unusual greeting, an astonishment so great as to cause a kind of fear. This is Mary's first reaction to the angelic message, a reaction arising from her deep humility, which makes her think this extraordinary eulogy a very strange one. Meanwhile, the angel communicates to her his great message. God wishes her to become the mother of the Redeemer. Mary had always lived under the continual direction of the Holy Spirit, especially as she had not original sin, and under his inspiration had made a vow of virginity. Therefore, she was convinced that she should remain a virgin and that this was God's will, 
But now God lets her know that he has chosen her to be the mother of his son. And she, humble handmaid that she is, is ready to adhere to the divine plan. However, she does not yet understand how she can be at the same time a mother and a virgin. And she questions the angel on this point. How shall it be done? The angel explains, The Holy Spirit shall come upon thee, and the power of the Most High shall overshadow thee. Her maternity will be the direct work of the Holy Spirit and will respect her virginity. The will of God is then entirely clear to Mary, and she, who during her whole life has always been moved by the divine will alone, accepts it immediately without an entire adherence, with an entire adherence and a most intense, pure love. She said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word. The total acceptance is accompanied by a total donation. Mary accepts by offering herself and she offers herself by giving herself. She offers herself as a servant, or rather as a slave. If we take the word in the full sense of the Greek text, she gives herself by abandoning herself as a prey to the divine will, accepting by anticipation everything that God may ask of her. Her adherence to him is both active and passive. Mary wills all that God wills, and she accepts all that he does. Thus Mary appears as the model of a soul completely united to God, fully given up to his divine will. The angel's explanation does not prevent many future events and circumstances from remaining hidden and obscure to her. She finds herself face to face with a mystery, a mystery which she knows intuitively to be rich in suffering, for she has learned from the sacred scriptures that the Redeemer will be a man of sorrows, sacrificed for the salvation of mankind. Therefore, the ineffable joy of the divine maternity is presented to her wrapped in a mystery of sorrow. To be willing to be the mother of the Son of God means consenting to be the mother of one condemned to death. Yet Mary accepts everything in her fiat, in the joy as well as in the sorrow of the mystery, but she has one simple answer. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. By this acceptance, the Blessed Virgin becomes intimately associated with the life of suffering of her son Jesus, and therefore with his work of redemption, thus becoming the spiritual mother of the human race. This is the divine plan for her, and Mary accepts it wholly, without reserve, precisely because her will is wholly united to the will of God. Every Christian receives a vocation from God, a mission to fulfill, by means of which he is called to participate in the redemptive work of Jesus. For souls consecrated to God, this mission always finds its culminating point in a task of spiritual paternity or maternity. Oh, if every soul would respond to the divine appeal by as complete an acceptance as Mary's Ecce Ecce Ancilla Domini, 
fiat. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done. Many times in the course of our life we have received invitations from the Lord and we shall certainly continue to receive them. Invocation, invitations to suffering, invitations to sacrifice, invitations to the gift of self. How have we responded? Did we correspond? Perhaps the thought of the fatigue and suffering which we would have to embrace has held us back. Let's try in the future to keep the eyes of our soul open to the light of faith so that, like Mary, we shall understand that it is through suffering that God calls us to collaborate with Jesus in the sanctification of souls. So, as I said last week, the Holy Father, Pope Francis, has decided that on this day he is going to consecrate Russia and Ukraine to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, as was requested of the Pope in Fatima by Our Lady of Fatima. So I'm going to read out now a prayer to St. Therese of the Child Jesus for the conversion of Russia. This prayer, approved by the Holy Office in 1929, is an indulgence prayer. So pray along with me, please. O loving and compassionate saint, deign to comfort our Russian brethren, the victims of a long and cruel persecution of the Christian name. Obtain for them perseverance in the faith, progress in the love of God and of their neighbour, and in confidence toward the Most Holy Mother of God, Prepare for them holy priests who shall make reparation for the blasphemies and sacrileges committed against the Holy Eucharist. Grant that angelic purity, especially in the young, and every Christian virtue may once more flourish amongst them to the end that this noble people, being delivered from all slavery and returning freely to the one fold entrusted by the loving heart of the risen Christ to St. Peter and his successors may at length taste the joy of glorifying the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in the fellowship of the Holy Catholic Church. Amen. So that prayer is for the invocation for the conversion of Russia. There is also another prayer as we have another three minutes to go in this show. So I found another beautiful prayer also commissioned by the Holy See um, in, on February 15 in 1935 in a plenary indulgence on the usual conditions uh, stands for this prayer if it is recited on the feasts of the Immaculate Conception, the Nativity and the Annunciation, the Purification and the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary if this prayer is recited with devotion. So, O Virgin Immaculate, Thou who by a singular privilege of grace was preserved from original sin, look in pity upon our separated brethren, who are nevertheless thy children, and call them back to the centre of unity. Not a few of them, although separated from the church, have kept a certain veneration for thee, and do thou, generous as thou art, reward them for it, by obtaining for them the grace of conversion. 
Thou wast conqueror of the infernal serpent from the first instant of thy existence. Renew even now, for it is now more necessary than ever before, thine ancient triumphs. Glorify thy divine Son. Bring back to him the sheep that have strayed from the one fold and place them once more under the guidance of the universal shepherd who holds the place of thy Son on earth. Let it be thy glory. O virgin who destroyest all heresies to restore unity and peace once more to all the Christian people. Amen. So we have just over a minute until the end of this show. So I wish all of you a beautiful and happy feast day on this day. Come along to Mass if you can. This evening we'll be having a sung Mass. And um, let us celebrate this beautiful feast nine months out as it is from Christmas of our Blessed Mother and her magnificent visitation by the angel in which she gave her fiat and opened the doors for all of us to find salvation. Let's conclude today's show with a prayer then. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost as it was in the beginning, as now and ever shall be world without end. Amen. So I hope to uh, have you all back here again next week at our radio show and also it'd be great to see you along at our chapel uh, for Mass during the week and if possible along on a Sunday. God bless you all. Have a happy and holy weekend and a very profitable Lent. May God reward you all. Amen.